Loveless Oregon is a short story collection by Elliot Matson about death, rebirth, prosperity, and its pitfalls. Each story takes place in the same building in the same town across many years. The stories feature disparate characters in different situations linked by their geography and imposing omnipresent supernatural forces. All stories were written, narrated, recorded, and produced by me, Elliot Matson. If you want to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash loveless. But for now, sit back and enjoy the story. Welcome to Loveless. Oh, it's all at the Oregon Loveless, Oregon. Story number four. Appointments. 10 a.m. Abby Pender turns sideways in the full-length mirror on the south wall. She hugs her curvy hips as her mother stares in judgment behind her. Come on, Martha thinks. Ellen was a size six in high school, too, and she never thought twice about it. Give the girl a break. It's a beautiful dress. Plaid is making a comeback. Plus, a sale would be nice. I think that looks lovely on you, sweetie, says Martha. Would be lovelier if she stuck to her diet, says Ellen. Mom! I've been trying to, okay? And prom's in two weeks. All this tightness, see here around the sides, that'll go away. If Jane Fonda can do it, so can you, Ab. Martha smiles at Ellen. Ellen shakes her head. She probably still counts calories, just like in high school. Martha lost count a while ago. Abby steps away from the mirror and goes to the front rack by the window. As she sifts through deals, Ellen approaches Martha. I really wish you wouldn't say things like that. It's like you're trying to make a sale. I'm not. I really think she looks beautiful. I wish I could fit into that number. What, so you could go to prom? Martha makes a crooked face and puts fingers through her cotton ball hair. Ha ha. I mean, I missed ours. <laughs> you weren't asked to go. There's a difference. Well, thinks Martha, you're still living in Loveless too, Ellen, and shopping at a consignment dress shop. Being prom queen only gets you so far. Abby shrieks from across the room. Ellen rushes over to dote on the girl she was just fat-shaming. Martha! Martha, get over here! Martha hobbles to the girl and her mother. It's these bum ankles. She just can't move quickly anymore. Blood drips down Abby's hand, bright red like the satin shawl hanging on the headless mannequin. Not on the dress, shouts Ellen. Martha, get a rag, or maybe one of those hideous poodle skirts in the corner. Martha grabs some paper towels propped next to the Windex at the front picture window. The ocean across Highway 101 glistens like it always does in May. Blues and golds woven together like fine lace. Give me that, snaps Ellen. Abby dabs her melting mascara as her mother soaks the blood. Would you look at this? Look how sharp the end of this rack is. It's basically a lance. Martha, do you see this? This is a hazard. Oh, I'm so sorry, ladies. This one was defective, but I needed the extra space for inventory. I've been meaning to get it fixed, or have Teddy help me sand it down or something. Teddy Bird? A lot of help he'll be. When's he ever not five beers deep into a six-pack? How many more people is this thing going to maim before he gets around to it? Abby's lips tremble. The spaghetti straps of the dress sink into her soft shoulder skin. Look, says Ellen. We'll just take this one. Abby, go get changed before you get any blood on it. Abby rushes to the dressing room and pulls the pleated curtain as Martha dubiously holds a clump of paper towels. Uh, well, I guess that will be fifty-five dollars. Ellen clicks her tongue and puts her hand on her hip. Fifty-five? <laughs> Are you serious? 
That's more than the stitches she's going to need. Well, it's just, that's the price it's marked at, and... And I get the friend's discount, plus the you-almost-killed-my-daughter coupon. What's so hard about this? Ellen digs in her enormous handbag. Her sprayed hair stays frozen solid even as her head jerks from side to side. Here, here's 20. And I'm being generous. You've really got to get some nicer stuff in here. I thought this place was called Dress for Success, not Dress Like a Whore. Martha shyly takes the single bill from Ellen's claws. The translucent green paper is a brittle leaf on an autumn day. She does have nice stuff in here. She'd love to have new stuff, designer stuff, but the merchandise is still pretty in its own way. Oh, yeah, yes, of course, Martha chuckles meekly. <laughs> what am I thinking? That, you know, it's the white and amber plaid? That's right, it is on sale. 20 is totally fine, really. Mm. Good. Of course. Abby, we're leaving. The girl sulks out of the dressing room, holding the folded dress in her arms like a picnic basket. She huffs past Martha, and Ellen pushes the girl forward. The bell chimes, and Martha stands alone among hundreds of empty garments and a few limbless plastic people. She walks to the register and opens the drawer. As a rule of thumb, it's probably bad to see the bottom of so many of the rectangular compartments. She carefully sets the $20 bill in the far right one, alone like a wallflower at a dance. 11.26 a.m. A skinny man with a push-broom mustache hands different dress sizes and colors over the changing room curtain. As the woman shifts and contorts on the other side, the curtain shakes like a ghost is haunting the stall. Martha tidies the front of the shop. She found some painter's tape in the back and wrapped a healthy layer around the sharp edge of the dress rack. Spots of dry blood she couldn't clean pepper a couple of the lighter-colored garments, but she can't afford to take them off the stands. One of them is cashmere, one of the only triple-digit prices in the store. She marks various other circular orange stickers down by $5. The curtain parts and the skinny man's girlfriend strikes a seductive pose in a strapless satin purple tube. Her matte black hair is a staticky mop and her stretch tattoos attempt to claw their way beyond the fabric. What do you think? She asks the man. With those gold heels I have at home? And, you know... You wouldn't see my bra. He scratches his head and wipes his foggy, lopsided glasses. Wouldn't see it? She rolls her eyes. I'd be wearing a strapless one or those suction cup things, I mean. I'm saying you just have to imagine it. A man in a beige suit has already made his sixth loop around the store, pulling at fabric, adjusting spacing between garments. Every time he moves, Martha's eyes dart in his direction. Sure, then yeah, I guess so, the man tells his girlfriend. Martha's still focused on the man in the beige suit, though. Jenny said for the bridesmaids to just get purple. You can get whatever style dress you want. So, you think this is good? I said, yeah, I think it's great. I don't know. Why didn't you ask Sharon to come? The woman groans and slashes the curtain closed. Because she's got the kids this weekend. God, can't you ever help? You think a guy would like to take his girlfriend shopping for sexy dresses? The purple tube pops over the curtain rod and the boyfriend grabs it before it hits the floor. Martha watches the man in the beige suit. They eye each other as she nods and bites her lip. He is stoic and unreadable. The couple approach the register and Martha smiles. Find something great? I guess so. The woman smacks her gum. Her sharp nails match the dress. Babe, you got cash? Seventy dollars, even? Says Martha. The man counts a wrinkled wad of green origami exhumed from his pants. Uh, hmm. Well, I only got sixty. The woman groans like a child throwing a fit. 
Are you kidding me? I told you to get money out of the bank. The beige-suited man has stopped putting on airs and is just standing in the corner with his hands in his pockets. Martha wants to tell him just a moment to be nice, but she knows that wouldn't appease him. You know what, she says. Sixty is fine. Really? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's perfect. The man drops the cash on the counter. The bills flutter like dried flower petals. Martha bunches them together and tries to get the couple moving. Thank you for shopping with us. Okay, bye now. The couple looks at each other dumbfounded, then exits the shop as Martha turns to the man in the corner. She motions to apologize, but he shrugs it off. Man, she looked like a piece of work. Well, says Martha politely, weddings are a big deal. She just wanted to look nice. The man opens the back supply closet, stands on a stool, and opens the ceiling vent. Look nice for that prick? He'd get blown into the ocean with a strong gust of wind. I bet I could show her a good time, though. His voice echoes in aluminum. Martha checks the front door nervously. Cars and people speed by as the sun continues to shine. The man returns the stool and shuts the closet door. Do you want a bag? asks Martha. I think I got it. The man sheaths two large bundles of heroin under his thick beige blazer. My car's parked right out there. Always a pleasure, Martha. The man starts for the door and then pivots on his heel. Oh, one last thing. I can't pay you this week. Something came up with the boys upstairs. Nothing to worry about, just can't exactly move funds right now. But don't you worry. He kisses his palm and then pats her pink cheek. I'll see you next week, huh? The door shuts and Martha flattens out the wrinkled bills. They smell like dirty jeans and greasy fast food. But it's cash for the register, at least. 12 p.m. Martha chews a plain turkey sandwich as Teddy assesses the sharp rod of the clothing rack. You think it's fixable? She says with a mouthful. Fixable? Maybe it can be sanded a bit? Or you could try electrical tape? It's a little softer than this painter's stuff. Electrical tape. Yet another thing she'll have to acquire, use once for a singular purpose, and never have a use for ever again. Kind of like every dress in this store. Listen, says Teddy. Nancy's gonna be on my ass if I don't get home soon. Mind if I come by a different time for this? Teddy ambles to the register and Martha sets her sandwich on a square paper towel. He smells like stale Miller High Life. They must have been out of Johnny Walker at the gas station. His bloodshot eyes say at least one beverage has taken the edge off today already, though. Sure. I just want to get it fixed, and I can't buy another one right now when I need the space. Plus, Ellen Pender's daughter cut her hand on it today. What a fucking bitch. I'm sure you got an earful of that one. Boy, did I. Martha stops herself before complaining. Ellen is a friend, after all, even though she never would have given Martha the time of day in high school. But, you know, she does have a point. It's a hazard. The only hazard is the stick that's jammed so far up her ass it's coming out her ear. Martha snorts her cherry coke. <laughs> Teddy, not near the merchandise. I was already wiping blood out of those skirts today. Teddy grins. The patches on his denim vest lilt like sad daffodils, and his fingernails have French manicures of last week's engine grease. He laughs with her like they always used to in the cafeteria until he sighs. <sighs> Fuck. I've got to get out of this town. I'll do it, too. Take the girls with me. Mark my words. Martha doesn't want to encourage him, but she doesn't want to break his heart either. She only nods and takes another bite. You should get out of here too, Teddy adds. You seeing anybody these days? Martha blushes and picks at the crust of her sandwich. Martha, you dog. Who's the lucky gent? Martha shakes him off. It's not official or anything. We just enjoy one another's company. It's really early stages. 
but I think Lenny really likes me. Oops, not his name. Forget that. You cannot repeat that. Didn't hear a word. Teddy zips his lips with a smile. Well, if things get hot and heavy with this mystery man, you could get out too. Hell, we could visit each other. I mean, I know you haven't had the shop for super long, but you're doing well here, right? You could open some more locations. Hell, open one in Fiji and live there part-time. That's the dream. It'll have to be a dream. I don't think I've sold a full-priced dress yet. Teddy picks his teeth and takes a sip of Martha's cherry coke. He puts his grimy hands in his jacket pockets and leans against the counter. Yeah, so, about that. Listen, Valerie loved that polka dot dress we found here the other day. The one for her birthday party? Yeah, she was adorable in it. But I was wondering, and you can totally say no, but I was wondering if I could have the $45 back. Just for now, I promise I'll pay it back. You know, I could bring the dress back if you wanted, as like a return. Martha shakes her head. Teddy, no. Valerie needs that cute dress. Look, I know you're good for it, and if you can help me out with the rack, all the better. Martha licks her thumb and takes out some of her newly flattened bills, two twenties and a five. She places them in a stack next to Teddy's elbow and has to force her hand to let them go. Honestly? Man, this is such a huge help. I can't thank you enough. I promise I'll pay you back. I know you will. Martha checks her watch. Another appointment coming up soon. You should probably get going, though, right? Teddy does a little drum roll on the counter. You're a lifesaver. I'll talk to you later. When Teddy walks outside, he squints, looking left and right. He's probably figuring out where else he can make a quick buck before going home. God bless him. Hopefully he doesn't just spend that cash on rail drinks at the anchor next door. Wouldn't be the first of Martha's cash he's deposited over there. He disappears into the afternoon and Martha checks the remaining brittle bills safely stowed in the register. 1.37 p.m. Bobby Simmons walks in dress for success, all denim and forward momentum. Martha helps a trio of girls looking for the perfect 50s ensembles for performing Grease at the high school. Seems like it would be a little rich for Martha's blood, but the kids today are far more risque. Hey, says Bobby. It's a whisper said audibly and gruffly. Hey, Martha, you have that, you know, that package for me? Martha ignores him while she runs a measuring tape around the tallest girl's waist and bust. Martha, did you hear me? Martha chuckles, getting a bit more aggravated. I'm with a customer, sir. I'm sorry, but you'll just have to wait one moment, please. She loops the measuring tape around the second girl. Bobby taps bright white tennis shoes on the hardwood floor, and the girls start inching toward Martha. He talks in a sing-song upward inflection that drags like a ball gown. I don't have all day. Martha measures the third girl. Almost. You know what? I got it. Just going to help myself. Bobby storms past them, bumping his shoulder into the tall girl and goes to the back supply closet. He knows what Martha has for him. It's what Frank dropped off to give him. It happens every week. Sure, he could get the package himself, but this is Martha's store. This is a place of business. There is an order of operations that has to happen. Bobby slams around in the closet and picks up a long, awkward cardboard box brimming with fabric scraps and consignment rags. He bullies his way through the skinny doorway and Martha rushes over to him. Sir! She catches up to Bobby, frazzled and pleading, the measuring tape trailing like a green boa. Please, let me help you with that. Bobby! I got it, Martha. They walk toe-to-toe, past the cash register, past the first row of revolving hangers. Well, it's just that there are a couple of dresses in there that aren't supposed to be. I have to pull them out. Martha reaches into the box and Bobby yanks it away. 
The dresses go flying and heavy thuds reverberate through the floorboards. Martha stops. So does Bobby. So do the teen girls. Five sets of eyes stare blankly at five assault rifles and ten pistols littering the floor of dress for success. Nobody moves, their afternoon shadows woven with weaponry. Bobby rips a mink coat off the rack beside him and drapes it over the scattered guns. With one motion, he manages to grab everything and dump it all back into the rip box. He hoists it against his chest and starts to walk again. The girls are frozen. Martha eyes them hesitantly before dashing after Bobby. Wait, says Martha. What about my cut? Bobby balances the box and holds the front door open with his foot. I don't have it this time. Take it up with Frank when you see him. But I said I don't know anything about it. Bobby digs in his boot-cut wranglers and chucks a wad of cash at the girls. Go buy something nice for yourself, ladies. From a different store. You didn't see anything. The girls nod in ghostly unison. The front door slams and the window fogs with Martha's trembling breath. 2.12 p.m. Can I pull this off? Be honest with me. Yvonne can pull anything off. She just likes the affirmation. Martha crushes a cherry Coke can and drops it in the wastebasket with the others. It falls softly on a pillow of bloody paper towels. You don't think it's, I don't know, too green? She spins away from the mirror. Martha is looking at a divot in the floor made by the butt of one of the assault rifles. Martha, are you even paying attention to me? Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, that looks green to me. I know it's green, but does it make me look like Kermit the Frog or something? I don't think so. Martha massages her forehead. One of the teen girls' mothers is Sandra Kent, head of the PTA, former model UN star, always looking to stick her nose into anywhere. But she did explicitly overhear the girl tell her friends her mom was a bitch, so hopefully she's in the clear. Yvonne spins in the mirror again and kicks out a leg. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to take this for the night. I have that real estate dinner I told you about. I'll try this out. See how it goes. That's not really how... So much cute stuff in here, girl. Okay, I'll see you later. Yvonne wears the dress out. The bell chimes. Martha pulls the tab on a cherry Coke. 3.40 p.m. Martha crouches halfway in the supply closet over a box one of the mannequins came in. She spreads packing peanuts around, but the hundreds of translucent blue bottles are still visible. The little round pills stare up at her as she jostles more packing peanuts into various nooks and crannies. Excuse me? Martha jumps and packing peanuts explode in a puffy pink cloud around her. A woman holds her little boy's hand while bouncing her infant daughter against her hip. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. Martha pulls a peanut from her hair. No, no, not at all. Can I help you? We're visiting from out of town, and I was looking for something to distract the kiddos for a bit. The woman winks. She's poreless, perfect, her hair in a tight bun and her abs visible through her top. My dad said he remembered there being an ice cream place here or something. Martha pushes the box further into the closet, but the door still won't fully close. Hmm, that must have been a while ago. But, you know, there is a bakery down the street. Just walk down a little that way. Martha kneels to look at the boy, his thumb squarely between two rosy lips. She speaks in a soft voice with wide, playful eyes. I hear they have cookies shaped like little whales. They have cupcakes, too. Doesn't that sound good? The boy nods vaguely. As his eyes wander through layers of fabric, he doesn't let go of his mother's manicured and moisturized hand. That sounds delicious, says the woman, answering for him. What do you say to the nice lady, kids? The boy mumbles a thank you around his thumb. The baby girl wiggles when her mom nuzzles her cheek. Thanks so much, says the woman. 
They turn to leave and Martha holds out a hand. To you. The woman stops and turns around. They stand lit elegantly by the front window as she rocks the little girl on her hip. This ship has probably sailed for Martha. Maybe she could adopt. Lenny already has a daughter. Martha would love to meet her. She bets she has Lenny's eyes. What would a daughter look like with her eyes? Martha wonders what dress Lenny's daughter would wear to prom and how Lenny would say it shows too much skin and forbid her to wear it. And then Martha would tell the girl she'd talk some sense into her father and not to worry. She looked fabulous and all the boys would be jealous. Do you mind if I hold her? Just really quick. The woman's brow tenses. She looks at her baby girl whose magnificent blue eyes absorb the sun. Beg your pardon? Sorry, we're really in a hurry. You know how hungry kids can get. Um, well, okay, so thanks for the directions. The door slams. Martha sighs and gets back to packing the pills. 4.05 p.m. What are all these fucking packing peanuts doing in here? Martha clenches her hands against her stomach and looks over Michael's shoulder. His coffee-stained University of Oregon sweatshirt makes the duck logo look like it fell in the mud. He scratches his coarse black beard in deliberation. I just had extras and thought it might be a good way to conceal them. Is that not okay? No, Martha. I need to stop at weigh stations all the way to Iowa. That's why we gave you the scale. That's why you pack these fuckers full of dresses and shit. How long have we been doing this now? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't think about that. Michael lifts his sweaty Fleet Farm hat and runs a meaty hand through his Brillo pad of hair. I guess you didn't. Michael struggles to bend, his belly spilling over his sweats. He starts digging the packing peanuts out of the box like a dog on a beach. The pink foam kernels fly across the store. Go on, get some dresses, get the scale, I'm already behind as it is. He could have just gently placed the peanuts into a garbage bag or something. Martha didn't see the need for the anger. Michael isn't the gentlest of souls. Although when Martha happens to catch the score of a college football game on a day he's coming in, his eyes always light up and it doesn't matter if he's running late. She didn't happen to today, though. Michael grabs an armful of dresses and dumps them on top of the pill bottles. He adds a few more, then removes a heavier velvet one and replaces it with a heathered gray calico piece Martha was really hoping to sell with summertime just starting out. Michael shifts a few of the silver weights back and forth on the doctor's scale until it balances evenly. Then he grabs the packing tape and clumsily seals all the sides. Get a dolly, would you? Martha's sweeping the peanuts to one side of the store. Michael waves her along impatiently. She sets the broom against the wall and returns with the rusty red dolly. With an exasperated hurl, Michael forces the box onto the dolly and begins to wheel it backwards out of the store. Martha follows, making sure he doesn't bump into any of the nicer garments. At the door, Michael wipes a sleeve full of sweat from his forehead. He should really stop eating so much jerky and smoking cigars. Maybe his wife should be the one to tell him. Although, Martha isn't sure he's even married. He never wears a ring. They aren't supposed to talk about personal things anyway. Danny will be making the next drop-off. Please don't get any more creative epiphanies, all right? Stick to the plan. Yes. Again, I don't know what I was thinking. Sure. Michael digs in his sweatpants pocket and reveals an unwrapped Slim Jim. I can't pay you today. When Danny comes, you will. But you haven't paid me for the last five pickups. Martha, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not an accountant. They just pay me to pick the stuff up and drive it in my truck. I suppose you get paid, though. Hey, if I want nagging, I go home to my wife. So he is married. Martha wonders what she's like. Maybe she's a football fan, too, and enjoys making themed snacks for all the games. They go out on Friday nights with the Stephensons, and she plays cribbage with Michael's mother-in-law, even though she'd rather not, because she wants to set a good example for her own children. Was Lenny's mother still alive? 
If she was, Martha would make a point to spend time with her. They could have a little sewing circle or even a book club. She likes those tawdry checkout line romances that make Martha blush. She points out an explicit scene where the main character, Gwendolyn Van Zant, is tied to Baron Siegfried Castlefield's bed and coyly mentions how ravenous Lenny's father was in the bedroom. Martha offers to make tea only because she wants to hear more stories. When Lenny gets home from a long day at the office, it makes his heart melt to see his mother laughing so much with the love of his life. I'm sorry, Martha says. I know you're stressed and running late. The door is already closed. Michael crosses the street with a dolly to his idling truck. Martha grabs the broom. She squeezes it tight as she sweeps. The wood grain of the handle dries her skin. She breathes like she's wearing a corset. She strangles Michael and Danny and Bobby and Stan and Mitch and Teddy and Ellen and Yvonne. Dust and lint floats above the floor in harsh clouds. She sneezes and sweeps and seethes. 5.35 p.m. Martha sips on a warm cherry Coke as tourists shuffle in and out of the shop. You can always tell tourists because they come in right at closing time, rifle through every nicely sized and straightened dress, drip melty ice cream on a vintage vest, and never buy a single thing. A chic, slender woman in the corner runs her fingers through a row of black chiffon. She's been browsing for some time, but with a discerning eye that's looking for exactly what she wants. The front door chimes and closes as the tourists stumble out to wreak havoc on the gift shop a few doors down. The woman sways as she walks to the front door and flips around the dangling sign so that open faces inward. She locks the deadbolt. Then she turns that discerning eye toward Martha. As she approaches the register, Martha intermittently crunches the Coke can. The woman's ecru overcoat floats like angel wings and reveals a satin-white A-line dress with purple and yellow piping. Her gold stilettos create new pores in the floorboards as she walks. Her platinum hair is cut in sharp, immovable, angular bangs. She's laser-focused on Martha through the circular frames of her yellow-tinted sunglasses. Um, thank you for doing that, says Martha quizzically. I was about to ask them to leave anyway. The woman places her hands on the counter like the talons of a raptor. But you wouldn't ask me to leave, would you? Her voice is sultry, dulcet, yet indefinite. Martha slowly shakes her head. Well, says the woman, what do you think? She does a little twirl and elevates one of her long, toned legs. She walks toward the door and then back like a fashion show. Do I dress for success? Martha gulps. She is dazzled. She is awestruck. I would, well, I would say so, yes. I'm glad you think so. She extends a long hand across the counter and Martha takes it in her pudgy paw. My name is Heather Gaines. Oh, that's a beautiful name. I'm Martha. Martha Gardenia. I know. And that's not my real name. Oh, I'm going to cut right to the chase here, if you don't mind. I work with some very powerful people who've taken a notice of what transpires at your store. Martha tenses her entire body and clutches her stomach. The police? I swear I can explain. It's not what it looks like, and- Martha, it's not the police. Oh, thank Jesus. My associates are much more powerful than the police, and they would like to go into business with you. Martha slurps the last of her cherry coke and drops the can in the bin. She couldn't handle another client. It was getting to be too much as it was now. It stresses her out to even think of a new schedule, a new way to move whatever product they're looking to move. She can barely keep up currently, let alone sell dresses. Well, I'm so flattered. I really am. But with all due respect, and you seem like a lovely woman, I think I just don't have the availability for that kind of thing. Heather laughs. Her teeth are the sharp, white gatekeepers of a deep abyss. <laughs> Sorry, 
I think you misunderstand. This would be an exclusive contract. Exclusive? So, like I couldn't work with anybody else? That's precisely what that means, yes. Martha supposes it would streamline things a bit. I see. It's just that I don't know if my other clients would appreciate that. Well, to put it bluntly, we don't care. And as we see it, the longer you stay operating in the way you are now, the likelihood that the police would be banging on your door exponentially increases. Or, well, I suppose... Martha's stomach gurgles. It's too much mental gymnastics to think about, and that makes her think of those royal blue leotards she hasn't sold a single one of yet. Look, I'm not going to say what it is I do here, but if I were to say it, I would say that I think it's okay, so there's not much to worry about, and Martha... The fact that you're even fumbling to justify this tells me two things. First, is that the entire operation is exceedingly complicated to manage. Second, is that you are a great businesswoman who cares. Martha is flattered. Heather couldn't have flattered her more if she complimented her outfit. When was the last time someone told her she was doing something right? So we can send over all the details, but basically we would pay you handsomely for the use of your space. Pretty much what you're doing now, but all for one business, and at a far greater scale. Maybe we purchase the two adjacent buildings, expand the store, really level you up. Again, this would all be yours, and that much will be explicit on paper. We're just running our operations through it. Martha's heart pounds through her cardigan that's missing a button. She could be an overnight success. No more selling used $20 dresses at half price. No more juggling all the drugs and guns and counterfeits and dangerous people. She and Lenny could go out and celebrate, and she could buy his mother a nice brooch. Of course, if he has a mother. As Heather examines the space, Martha's mind races. New racks, new inventory, new signage, new coat of paint. The local headline in the Loveless Inquirer. Dressed for success. A success. Then she starts thinking of all the people she would disappoint. What about Bobby? What about Stan? What about Michael's imaginary wife, who's probably even lovelier in reality? Too many people rely on her now. She can't. She... Won't. Heather? Says Martha with a quiet chirp. Yes? Her eyes glow behind her yellow glasses, presumptive and everlasting. I'm sorry, but I can't do it. I know it's dangerous, and it's a lot of work to have all this stuff happening around here, but, well, I just can't make the deal. I hope you understand and know how grateful I am for the opportunity. Heather's face turns hard as a diamond. Do you think they care about you? I beg your pardon? You know they all laugh at you, right? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not sure what... What do you mean? They're all laughing. Heather opens a compact mirror to check her lipstick. You think none of your associates knows about each other? That you're some compassionate mastermind keeping all these drug dealers and weapons peddlers in the dark? Because if one got wind of another moving product through the same shop, there'd be hell to pay. But that's what they want you to think. They want you to scramble. They want you to bend over backwards. They think it's funny, and they laugh at you. Martha gulps and sets her trembling jaw. No, I don't... Well, that's just not true. I'm keeping all of them safer if they don't know about each other. Bobby's told me how much he hates Stan, for instance. You think they're all such different little snowflakes. But something they have in common is that they would all throw you to the wolves in a second, given the opportunity. If you were wearing a shirt that said welcome, they'd be standing sideways just to walk all over you. You need to stop being a doormat, Martha, and be the door that hits them on the way out.
Martha coils shaky, clammy fingers into loose fists. I said I don't want to work with you, Heather. Miss Gaines, or ma'am, thank you. I'm sorry. The corners of Heather's mouth curl like fish hooks. Well, there's that little spark I have heard about. I can see it. Martha, I probably don't need to tell you how difficult it is to run a business. Of course not. Well, my associates know this all too well. They're bullheaded, you know. They lack a rational, feminine mindset that you and I both know is in fact fortuitous in this game. But it's the world we live in. And when they want something, they want it now. That's where my job comes in. And here's an important lesson. Apologies that it comes unsolicited. These kinds of lucrative decisions, as you or I or any successful businesswoman knows, can either be made by you or for you. Now, I completely understand your hesitancy and will extend you the common courtesy of mulling this over. See, this is why my associates love you. You're sweet, yes, but you're tough. They see all the potential. And now that I've met you, so do I. Martha places a soft hand on her chest. She wishes she had a cross-stitch of that above her breakfast table. That being said, I should point out that you are not integral to making this deal work. Do you understand? Martha's hand trembles and she jerks it away from her chest. She takes a long, shaky breath before she answers. It's not the first time she's been threatened, but she's never felt this scared. Yes. Perfect. So, you think about this, and I will be back in 24 hours. But remember, by you or for you. I'm looking forward to working together, Martha. Pounding at the front door turns the women's attention. A tall, middle-aged man in a saggy black suit with a spilled-over bouffant and a Roman nose dopily waves through the window. Heather glances at Martha and grins, then slowly walks to the door and unlocks it. She floats past the man, rounds the shop corner, and evaporates with the fluttering tails of her overcoat. 6 p.m. Whoa, where'd she just get in from? Paris Fashion Week or some shit? Money steps through the door and Martha locks it behind him. She purposefully leans close so she can get a whiff of his cologne. It's different every time. He says he gets it from all the best shops in New York City. Tonight he smells like leather in a fancy limousine. Martha wants to hug him, tell him how much she's missed him. Lenny ambles through the space, absentmindedly checking prices of various dresses. When I was here last month, all I saw was a bunch of govones and their white trash girlfriends. You clearly must be doing something right if you're getting broads like that to the shop here now. She loves his Italian idioms, his nasally tough guy speech patterns. I guess business might be booming a little. She giggles. Her voice is higher when he's around, softer. Her skin is glowing. I almost forgot, says Lenny. I come bearing gifts. Lenny Iorontinelli, you shouldn't have. Martha blushes as red as the lacy lingerie she mistakenly stood next to. She really needs to get mannequins with more realistic physiques. It's 1992. They should make those by now. Lenny tells Martha to close her eyes and hold out her hands. She hears the rustle of a paper bag and feels the cotton poly blend drape across her arms. She opens her eyes and sees the three shiny black typewriter letters and the pure red heart inked across the starkest white shirt she's ever seen. Lenny's eyebrows elevate in anticipation. Well, what do you think? Uh, I, um, I love it, Lenny. Martha slips the XXL shirt over her clothes like a white burlap sack. It's the thought that counts, really. She would have loved a ring, but she can dream. His eyes are two full plates of wet pasta. This isn't a man who would lie to her, laugh at her. Heather is wrong. I know last time you were talking about how you'd love to go to New York someday because you've never been. So I saw this at the airport and thought you'd get a kick out of it. 
Sorry they only had the one size. No, no, that's very sweet. She mentioned New York because she would love to go with him, but maybe she didn't say that part out loud. Hey, beggars can't be choosers for client gifts, huh? Lenny guffaws and slaps Martha on the shoulder. Martha memorizes the feeling of his hand against her and imagines it stayed longer, caressed her more, held her more. Should she tell him about Heather? He would know what to do. If she takes the offer, she'd have to end things with Lenny. And his boss would most likely be furious. Everyone would be furious. But Heather looked like she meant business. The first time Lenny came, he was on time, amicable. He paid Martha in full for her troubles. He looked at her with such indefatigable sweetness. She thinks of them going out to Staten Island for Sunday dinner at his mother's. She has to remember to ask him if his mother is still alive. She'd asked her friend Susie, who grew up in an Italian family, for all those kinds of little traditions so she could maybe talk about them with Lenny. On weekday evenings, he could mow the lawn outside their little house in Queens. She'd also memorized all of New York's five boroughs. The sweet, fresh-cut smell would waft through the windows as she sewed costumes for the girls' upcoming school play. They would alternate Christmases in New York and back here in Oregon with her mother. He would give her a new charm for their necklace every year on their anniversary, or sometimes the day after if he forgot. Martha Ironanelli. She could dream. Martha? Hmm? Yes? I said I'm unfortunately in a bit of a hurry, so I can't chat. Here's your cut for the month. Lenny hands Martha four stacks of bills, each a half inch high. How many stacks would be what Heather gives her? Is it worth it? Why mess all this up to go into business with that terrifying, beautiful woman? She's wrong. Lenny doesn't laugh at her behind her back. The cash doesn't smell quite like fresh-cut grass, but it has its cologne and the fibers. She'll let it sit out for a bit like a scented candle before depositing it into the register. Well, are you sure you can't stay? We could order pizza. I mean, I know you probably get the best pizza in the world basically every day, but Ronnie's up the street is pretty good for Oregon, I think. Sorry, Martha. Lenny sifts through a row of neatly organized dresses. He pulls a couple out, all wildly different colors and styles. Shay, what do you think of any of these? Martha looks at each one in a daze. Another month before Lenny comes back? And all she got was this t-shirt? She sniffles and wipes her eyes. I guess that yellow one? I like the plunging neckline and the slits on the sides. Really beautiful. Size zero is the smallest, right? Well, there's a double zero, I guess. Ah, Maron. But like, zero's still pretty small, right? I mean, look at this thing. I could barely fit my foot through it. Yeah, definitely. It's very small. Good. He nods in approval, sticks the other two dresses haphazardly on the rack, and lifts the yellow dress to admire it. I think this is a winner. Martha, you should see the cans on this broad I'm dating. Cleavage that could crack a walnut, I'm telling you. Martha looks down at her bed sheet of a novelty t-shirt. That's, well, that's really lovely, Lenny. I'm happy for you. I'm sure she's a very nice girl. Yeah, she's okay. Listen, I gotta get going. You take care. And, as always, a pleasure doing business with you. Mr. Carlotti says this spot's the most reliable he's ever run product through. Lenny takes another handful of cash out of his pocket and counts a series of bills. He hands it to Martha. What's this for? For the dress. Oh, no, I I couldn't. I swear, it's on the house. Anything for you, Lenny. Was that too forward? She'd said it like she'd written it into her vows. And she would. Martha, you're running a business here. So are we. Take the money. Lenny winks and Martha melts into a white cotton poly puddle. I'll be seeing you. Lenny spins on his Italian leather heels and starts in a whistling, jaunty bob to the door. 
Martha counts the cash. It's way too much for that skimpy number. And then raises her eyes to admire the show stallion that is Lenny Irondinelli. She sees the little pink packing peanut just before he steps on it. Lenny's sheer density takes him down so quickly she doesn't have time to react when the sharp tube of the clothing rack pierces directly through his skull. Everything's quiet. The rack squeaks a little as it settles into a different divot on the floor. Lenny is hunched, limp, and motionless. Martha drops the cash and rushes over. Lenny? Lenny, are you okay? He doesn't move. She kneels under the rack and examines the long metal tube entering his right eye and remaining invisible until protruding through the back of his head. The break was clean. The edge of the tube is only covered in pomade. When she tries to shake him is when the blood starts dripping. Frantically, she lets the I Love New York shirt drop to her feet through the neck hole and sops up the fresh blood. Her heart races faster and faster. Lenny, 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 please wake up. She should call an ambulance. The police. No, she can't do that. She probably has a couple million in contraband hidden all over the shop. More on the way. She claws at her face and rubs her head in a confused, frustrated wail. Martha checks her watch. Carson will be here soon. Then he'd really be laughing at her. Or kill her. Maybe Heather has a point about only working with one business. But there's no time to think about that now. She can't even grieve properly. She holds back a well of tears. Then she pulls the clothing rack, Lenny attached still clutching the yellow dress, to the back supply closet. 7.54 p.m. Carson knocks for a third time before Martha makes it to the front door. A former bodybuilder whose muscles have since deflated, his clothes hang like droopy Halloween regalia. But he's still intimidating, and that's why he's in the business he's in. Martha, what the hell? I'm standing out here with my dick in my hand and 50 pounds of blow. I'm sorry, Carson. It's... well, come in. I apologize. Martha chokes her words and wipes her eyes with her cardigan. Her heart hasn't slowed yet. Carson makes his way into the shop with a heavy duffel bag. Martha stops him before he gets to the supply closet with a shout. Carson turns, his square jaw locked in constant acrimony. I need to drop this off. I know, it's just that I've had a rodent problem, and I put some traps back there. And poison. Martha feels a pit in her stomach when she thinks of Lenny just beyond that door, cramped in a closet with cleaning and sewing supplies. She always figured he wouldn't be the stereotypical messy husband. They'd share cleaning responsibilities and chores equally. All Martha's friends would say she had a real catch. She knew. Carson drops the duffel and jumps away. Fuck, are you serious? God, I hate those fuckers. Me too. Martha scans the shop. Where else to hide 50 pounds of cocaine and get Carson on his way? I was thinking, under the floor? Huh? There's a trap door behind the register down to a crawl space where the hot water heater is. It'll be fine down there until Jimmy comes for it. Carson deliberates. He doesn't like change. Martha doesn't like telling him he has to change. He cracks his swollen, scarred knuckles and scratches his cauliflower ear. <sighs> Fine. I mean, I don't like it. But I guess if that's the only option. It is. Martha shows Carson the trap door. He finds the faint grooves in the floor and lifts. They both stare into a dark, dirty hole. I'm pretty sure there are some steps. Right there, see? God damn it, this is not how I wanted to spend my evening. Let's make this quick. I'll go down there and you hand me the bag, okay? I want to make sure it can stay dry. Carson eases his way down the rickety stepladder. He chuckles as he descends into darkness. We had a crawl space in the house I grew up in. When my old man was really on a bender, my brothers and I used to go hide. <laughs> this one time, though. Martha hears the slip. She hears a metallic clang. She hears the bone-cracking thud on the floor. She hears blood soaking into the dirt. She hears silence. She gets on her knees and leans over the opening, trying to see into the darkness. 
Carson? Hello? Are you okay? As she moves her head back and forth, the fluorescent lights from the shop ease their way through the dark space like white organdy. She sees parts of his limp body, the blood, his shocked eyes staring straight at her. Martha jumps back and hugs her knees. This can't be happening. Not on the busiest day of the week. She sees her entire business falling apart, her life falling apart. She checks her watch. Shit. Lenny would have known what to do. Her poor, sweet, beautiful Lenny. Martha stands and takes a breathless inhale before kicking the duffel bag into the hole and slamming the trap door shut. 10.11 p.m. Martha is spiraling. She paces in the labyrinth between clothing racks. She tried to ease Lenny's head off the metal tube, but that only made a mess. She had to shove a towel under the door to soak the blood. The dirt in the basement would probably absorb Carson's blood. But how would she ever get his oversized body out of there? Martha polishes off another cherry Coke. When she tosses it in the wastebasket, it bounces from a mound of other cans and onto the floor. Toby knocks on the door. The skeletal teen tries to enter the shop, and Martha stiff-arms him. Hey, what the hell, Martha? I'm sorry, I'm, um, I'm having the place fumigated. This is for his own safety. Dress for success was already a morgue. She can't afford another freak accident. She thinks about Lenny and wants to cry. His pomade moisturized her hands and bits of his brain are caked in her cuticles. Toby looks at her with that peach fuzzy face, gray beanie pulled right to his eyelids, hoodie hiding sleeves of satanic tattoos. His mother probably asks herself where she went wrong every day. Beth Anderson, valedictorian. She and Martha had algebra together, seventh period. Toby has her build, her nose. To look at it optimistically, her entrepreneurial spirit as well. Martha has never worked with a busier marijuana dealer. The kid was creating an empire, and he was ahead of the curve as far as she was concerned. Martha bought his stuff once for her mother's glaucoma. It would be legal eventually, but for the time being, Toby was on the wrong side of the law. Well, okay, he says. I need to prep my bags, though. Martha palms her face. Toby, I completely forgot you wanted to do that tonight. Need to. I've got customers, Martha. I don't think it'll take long. You've still got all the bricks lined up in the back room how I left them, right? The, yes, the back room? See, that's where the problem is. Toby's got fury in his gaunt cheeks. You're fumigating around my weed? What, so there's going to be chemicals laced in it or something now? Shit, Martha, that's going to fuck up my whole inventory. Now, now, calm down. Let's think about this. It's all sealed in plastic. Why don't I just go get it for you right now? Toby flails his arms. And take it where? The anchor? Post up at the bar with my digital scale and dime bags? Martha watches the boy pace around like she was earlier. What about... Stop. Just... Just let me think a second. Toby closes his eyes and walks in circles. He's doing math in his head. He's probably as good as his mother, probably aced every test just like her. Martha is so focused on her mistakes and Toby frantically trying to figure out a solution, she doesn't hear the car coming. People always drive too fast through Loveless. Just because it's Highway 101 doesn't mean it's the literal highway. She really needs to petition to put up a better speed limit sign. Maybe one of those digital ones that says your speed and flashes red if you're going too fast. She doesn't catch the car's make or model. It's only a red blur. When Toby steps off the curb, so is he. The car keeps moving, vanishing into the night as the engine fades into the ocean waves. Martha squints through the transient summer breeze to Toby's mangled body. The double yellow divider lines skewer him, lying lifeless. Martha darts out the door to make sure nobody else is around. The street is quiet. Toby's stiff face holds onto shock and anger like linen holds wrinkles. She can't let the police show up, an ambulance, a fire truck... All of it could compromise the whole business. 
Without thinking, she grabs hold of Toby's frail, feminine wrists and pulls. He's surprisingly light, like moving a bag of feathers. She would have loved to pull her and Lenny's kids around on sleds in the snow. She read that New York had actual snowy winters, not like the rainy, dreary ones here. She would sew the whole family matching scarves and mittens and hats, and they'd wear them for the Christmas card. Season's greetings from the Irondinellis. She would pay extra at the photo counter for the heavier paper stock, because they could afford it. Before she gets to the door, she notices Toby's trail of blood and bile as an unfurled red carpet. She pops into the store and yanks a few discount dresses off their hangers and wraps Toby up. She drags him through the shop, sweating and heaving from the added weight of leather and sequins. Martha finds the trapdoor's edge, lifts it, and with a mighty kick, Toby topples down to join Carson. She shuts the door. Martha rushes back outside to the row of purple hydrangeas along the sidewalk. She's seen the city workers out here. It has to be here. She digs around in the dirt and the darkness until her hand grasps a rubber tube. It's coiled among the flowers like a serpent, and Martha runs her hands along it to find the spigot on the side of the anchor bar and grill. It squeakily turns on, and she feels the hose stiffen as she begins to wash away the mess. Even in the night sky, she can see the red in the water as it flows down the street and through the sewer grate. 3.30 a.m. Martha is huddled in the corner, hidden by two opposing clothing racks. It comforts her, the amalgamated smell of suede, nubuck, velvet, cotton. Lenny's cologne lingers in the air every now and then, sifting through her dress dungeon and lifting vomit further into her throat. This can't be happening. She messed everything up. One stupid mistake after another. They're going to kill her. Not one particular person, just all of them. They'll be lining up to get to her. And it'll be the most people she's ever had in the store. Martha's eyes are blue beanbags weighing down her eyelids. She struggles to pull a fur-lined corduroy bomber jacket off its hanger, but it eventually falls into the perfect pillow. She feels Lenny's arms wrap around her, the soft ribs of his undershirt. She'll just close her eyes for a minute. 7 a.m. Warm wood grain caresses Martha's cheek in balance with the lukewarm drool massaged into fur. Her eye twitches as light twinkles around it and she yawns. When she checks her watch, her hands go numb. There's that vomit again. She shoots to her feet and almost falls flat in her face. The sugar from 13 cherry cokes must have worn off and atrophied her legs. She steps toward the mirror and leans in. Her hair is matted and dull. The left side of her face is corduroy. But she's alive. For now. She wants to check on Lenny. She should really say a few words, maybe run her fingers through his hair, give him a soft peck on the cheek. But there's no time. Another knock on the door. Martha? Teddy calls through the picture window. Martha props herself on the other side. They're a modern-day Tristan and Isolde. Greta Yarborough played Isolde's senior year. She had such a lovely singing voice. Maybe Martha and Lenny's daughter would have been a star of the stage. No, of the stage and the screen. Teddy looks about as bad as Martha. He's nursing a hair of the dog can of Rainier. Jesus, what's wrong with your face? Are you up all night? He says. Were you? Teddy blinks lazily. Then he holds up a roll of black tape. Hey, look what I got. You want me to fix that tube? No. I mean, no, I I can't right now. Teddy places his hands against the window like binoculars and peers through them. Did you move that rack? Can you just let me in and I can take care of it? Kind of chilly out here. Martha brushes her tongue around her dry mouth. I'd rather you didn't. Huh? I'm, um, I'm doing inventory. Need to keep track of stuff. What? Inventory. Who's Troy? Listen, just let me in. I can't go home right away anyway. Nancy's probably pissed. Martha shakes her head and slashes the air like a crossing guard. No, Teddy, not now. Sorry. 
Teddy looks away sorely. You know what? Fuck you. I'm here bright and early to help. Martha gently places her hand on the window. The morning light turns him into an angel. I'm sorry. We can talk later. Teddy chucks the electrical tape across the street. It bounces over the rock wall and into the ocean. Then he staggers away down Highway 101. Martha has already left the window. 8.38 a.m. When Martha opens the front door a crack to politely tell Polly to leave, he barges in. The black leather of his jacket is cold and stiff and feels too much like skin after the night Martha's had. I don't have time for this, Martha. He walks to the large outlet on the far wall opposite the door to the supply closet and begins unscrewing the white plastic faceplate. It's just not a good time, Polly. Why is she even arguing? He's already in. He'll be gone in no time. She wishes she had another cherry coke. Or anything else to eat or drink. Polly sets the faceplate on the floor after sweeping away a few errant packing peanuts with a hairy hand. He removes the outlet and lays his screwdriver next to the faceplate along with five tiny screws. He crouches further and begins fishing around in the rectangular hole in the drywall. Martha taps her foot until he looks at her with that classic what-the-fuck-Polly face. He fishes some more, angling and jostling and contorting. Maybe if he didn't stack things so far back, this wouldn't be such a problem. Lenny would listen to her, unlike most husbands. All Martha's friends would say she had a catch. He removes his hand and a heap of tiny Ziploc bags spills from the wall. Martha has never tried meth before, let alone any drug, but Polly told her she should be proud that the best meth in the state is made possible thanks to Dress for Success. Polly gathers the baggies in a small cinch-cord gym bag he slings over his boxy shoulder. He reattaches the outlet and faceplate and drops the screwdriver in his inside jacket pocket. See? Wasn't so hot, right? He takes a bag of oyster crackers from his pocket and starts crunching them. A nice chowder sounds delicious to Martha right about now. She can taste the dry, flavorless oyster crackers as Polly eats them one by one. Is that all for today? Yeah, says Polly. He's on his way out without paying her. Again. Are you sure? She knows better than to be so direct with Polly. He'll pay her when he pays her. She's tired, though, and hungry. Martha, I know what you're doing, and I don't like it. I know, but it's been three weeks now. Martha, how many times do I have to... Martha steps forward when Polly stops in his tracks. Polly? He turns around, gasping, pointing to his throat. The little crinkly oyster cracker baggie floats to the floor. Martha jumps behind him to do the Heimlich, but he's too big. Her hands can't reach each other. She slaps his back, but it's like a mosquito on a horse. He gurgles and drops to his knees. Then his face hits the floor and the gurgling stops. Martha panics, looking out the window before grabbing Polly's limp cankles and dragging him behind the register. She's about to open the trap door when she hears the bell chime. She didn't relock the front door when Polly came in? She had to have relocked it. Well, of course she didn't, because now someone's inside the shop and it's... 9.01 a.m. Martha? Martha, are you in here? Martha slowly reveals herself from behind the counter. Hi, Ellen. She quietly kicks Polly into a fetal position to minimize his beached whale of a body. How, um, how can I help you today? Sorry, I, I thought I had locked the door. We're not quite open yet. Ellen extends a plaid ball and drops it on the counter. This didn't work out for Abby. Oh, I thought prom wasn't for two weeks. It's not, but she tried it on again when we got home yesterday and it was ripped. Martha runs her fingers along a torn seam just below the left armpit. It was ripped, or it ripped? Did you not hear me? It was ripped, I said. Ellen's eyelids flutter and she clutches her enormous bag against her chest. So, mm -hmm, yeah, I'd like my money back. Well, I already sold it to you on a discount. Maybe she could come in again and try something else? 
And what, walk through the streets with her hideously disfigured hand? She'll be lucky if she even gets to go to prom. I mean, wasn't it just a cut? A deep one. Martha's eyes sag deeper into her cheeks. She doesn't have the energy to contend with Ellen Pender. Not now. But she's not going to refund her $20 for a dress her fat-ass daughter ripped. That was mean. She shouldn't say that about poor Abby. It's not her fault. Martha would have killed to be a size 6 in high school. That reminds her. Ellen shouldn't be in here right now. She steps backward and trips on Polly's arm. She looks down and Ellen's eyes follow. Martha leaps in front of the counter and grabs Ellen's dainty elbow. Listen, Ellen, I'm in the middle of something right now, and I would really, really appreciate it if you came back later on to deal with this. Martha! Martha! Ellen yanks herself free of Martha's tightening grip. I can walk myself, thank you. And what's the big deal? You're so petty you're going to hang on to $20? Really? It was damaged and you know it. And, 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 uh, well, I don't have time to come back today. I can just run errands all day. Ellen! Martha's bark silences her immediately. You need to leave right now. Go! Get out of my store! Martha rips the door open wide, shoves Ellen backwards, shuts it, and locks the brass deadbolt. Ellen stands like a puppy left out in the rain before scowling and shouting through the window. Martha can't hear her. Won't hear her. She tries to think of a song to drown her out. What would her and Lenny's song be? Something romantic. Something they heard on a date and decided it was their song and danced to it at their wedding. And then whenever it came on the radio, Lenny would glide over and twirl and dip her and the kids would roll their eyes. But when they were older, they'd appreciate how nice it was to have parents who were so in love, who still are in love. Martha waits until Ellen tires herself out with rage and storms off. Then she opens the trap door and kicks Polly into the mass grave. 11.22 a.m. Martha's watch ticks slightly out of rhythm from the wall clock. It's a syncopation that alternates perfectly at times before getting looser and looser until it's dead on and then disjoins once more. 11.58 a.m. A young girl and her mother knock on the door and wave pleasantly. Martha stares at them from the shadows, but they can see her. They wave again and tug on the door handle. We're closed! Martha shouts louder than she expects. Another light tug. I said, we're closed! 12.22 p.m. Maybe she could go next door and get an order of fish and chips. They make them so good over there. And wash it down with a cherry Coke. She rips off her watch and throws it in the register to silence the ticking. 1.08 p.m. Two women in summer dresses and jean jackets approach the store. Before they can even reach the door, Martha shouts from the register, We're closed! Go away! 1.45 p.m. She'll just go next door really quick. Then she'll be able to think straight. It'll be fine. Nobody's going anywhere. Martha grabs her keys. The silver heart locket on the chain was her mother's. She was hoping to add a picture of her and Lenny one day. She doesn't even have a photo to remember him by, let alone a tiny heart-shaped one. How do you even get those printed anyway? Maybe at the same place they do the Christmas cards. She'd have to look into it. Martha locks the door from the outside and tugs just to make sure. She walks by the hydrangeas, purple and effervescent in the afternoon sun. She pulls the sleeve of her cardigan over her palm just before touching the door of the anchor. Grease and melted cheese lure her in with the faintest exposure. Everything inside looks like it was hasty pulled off of a sinking ship and left bobbing in the ocean. A few bikers shoot pool in the back and two old men play backgammon at a quarter table. The bartender doesn't recognize her. Why would he? Martha always brings a cold turkey sandwich for lunch and never has the occasion to splurge on restaurant food. But they share a ventilation system, and so, especially on Monday nights when the fryer is working on overdrive, Martha feels like she's belly up to the bar with a sizzling plate of whatever their catch of the week is. Can I get an order of the fish and chips to go, please? 
The bartender is expressionless as he writes the ticket and slides it over to a line cook who is on his way to take a smoke break. The cook stomps to the kitchen and Martha buries her head and shrugged shoulders like a turtle. Martha? A man with slicked gray hair and a beard to his chest sits at a nearby table. Martha needs to squint in the bar light to place him, but the jagged grizzly bear claw tattoo running along the side of his head is a dead giveaway. Frank? Is that you? Frank pops a curly fry into his mouth and waves her over. I didn't know you came here. I don't usually. I just forgot to pack a lunch and have been busy. Do you come here often? When I'm in town. Kind of a ritual. Stop here and then see you. Frank reaches below the table and holds up a large black duffel bag Martha knows is full of assault rifles and maybe if Frank has been busy, some other deadly things she wouldn't care to know about. Sorry, I'm just about finished up. We could have had lunch together. Martha smiles shyly. Oh, no, it's fine, really. The bartender hands Martha a styrofoam clamshell with blue and white gingham paper draping outside the corners. Martha can already taste the salt, the batter, the ketchup. She hopes they remember the ketchup packets because she doesn't want to ask. Caleb, says Frank to the bartender. That one's on me. You don't have to do that, Frank. Nonsense. My pleasure. Are you taking that back to the shop to eat? I'll walk with you. Martha enjoys the feeling of walking beside a man who just bought her lunch. That could even qualify as a date in some respect. She would never be unfaithful to Lenny, but Frank is a good guy. It's Bobby who's always the problem. Frank wants to pay her, she assumes. So maybe he can help her, too. Martha unlocks the door and holds it for Frank and his duffel. I guess chivalry isn't dead, he jokes. When he smiles, silver and gold molars twinkle in the light and a serpent tattoo curls along the inside of his lip. He's not the usual man Martha would go after, but if she's learned anything about the clothing business, it's that you can't judge a book by its cover. And to be clear, she wouldn't go after him because she is with Lenny. She always will be. They alternate Christmases between New York and here. He loves her. He's a catch, and she knows. Frank, I have to tell you something. Frank drops his duffel with a concerned look on his face. Yeah? Martha bursts into tears and buries her face in Frank's shoulder. Something's going on and I really messed up and I don't know how to fix it. Frank grabs her arms. Martha, what's wrong? What's going on? Here, he says, taking her food container. You want a fry or something? Martha scarfs a handful and takes a bite of a fish tender before continuing with a full mouth. I don't want to say completely because you'll be mad at me. Martha, you're clearly very upset. Let's just talk about it and see what I can do to help. Martha doesn't know where to start. How does she even explain the circumstances? To explain everything, she has to tell him she does business with all these other people, but now they're dead, so could she gloss over that? And according to Heather, he already knows and is laughing at her anyway. Would Frank really laugh at her? No, no, he wouldn't. Should she mention Heather? Martha instinctively checks her watch, but remembers it's in the cash register. Hey, look at me. Tell me what's going on, okay? Please. Martha nods with full cheeks and wipes her tears. She beckons Frank to the supply closet and the pair stands at the closed door. Now, look, you can't be mad. You can't freak out. What the hell are you talking about? Do I have to guess what's behind door number one or something? Martha takes a deep breath, swallows her fries, and opens the closet door. Holy fuck! Frank dives back. What the fuck is that? What happened? Just wait a second, Martha says, starting to bawl again. She walks over to the register and lifts the trap door. Frank sheepishly leans over and looks inside, parsing the darkness. Fuck. What the- Martha, did you kill Lenny? And Carson? And Polly? No, I didn't kill anyone. I can explain. So he does know them. But Lenny would never have lied to her. She's certain about that. How? How can you explain this? What is this? Is 
Is this because we didn't pay you? Look, I'm sorry. Things have been backed up lately. We're a growing business and have to work out the kinks. We're good for it, I swear. Frank takes out cash from just about every pocket on him. It falls to the floor, drifting in the air like packing peanuts. No, it's not that, says Martha. It's hard to explain. You said you'd help me. Martha steps toward him, but Frank pulls a gun on her. Martha stares down the barrel. It's the same color as the crawl space. She hangs her head and cries. Don't make me do this, Martha. This is some pretty deep shit to dig out of. Lenny and the clothing rack creak and fall over. The sound makes Martha jump. When she spins her head, she hears the gun. She jumps again and grabs her head, feeling around for a gaping hole. There's nothing. She slowly turns around and sees through Frank's head, clean to the front picture window, across Highway 101, over the rock wall into the wide, blue ocean. The gun is smoking from both sides. Frank steps backward and falls into the crawl space. Martha falls to her knees. How is this happening? Why is this happening? Lenny looks at her with his one eye, sideways, in a pile on the floor beside a pool of blood in the yellow dress. 2.50 p.m. A couple walks by the front door. I said we are fucking closed! 4.50 p.m. Martha chews rubbery cold fish and licks a ripped ketchup packet. She sits on the floor, back to the wall, next to Lenny. This could have been dinner every night. The two of them discussing how their days were. Lenny telling her how pretty and successful she is, and not to take any guff from Ellen Pender or any other stuck-up lady. But he wouldn't use the words guff or lady because he'd have more colorful phrases. Even if their song came on the radio while they were having dinner, they would still get up and dance. Frantic knocks at the front door. Why do tourists always want to shop ten minutes before closing? It should be against the law. Martha slowly stands, her arms and shoulders heavy and sore. A young man who looks just like Toby rudely motions to her from the window. Martha thinks she's seen a ghost at first. But as she gets closer, she realizes it's something worse. Open up. Now. Stephen sells drugs with Toby. He's like if Toby never grew up in a good home and got good grades. Martha is happy she only deals with Toby. Well, until now. Martha talks through the window. Hi, Stephen. Toby isn't here. Why did she say that? Huh? Well... Where is he? Um, I don't know. Would you open the door? People are looking at me like I'm insane. He's got a shaved head, those droopy earlobe things, and piercings on and around every orifice. Of course they're looking. Now, wait a minute. Martha was just saying not to judge a book by its cover. He could be a lovely boy. Bitch, open the fucking door. I'm sorry, we're closed. And we're, we're fumigating. You can't come in. Toby never showed up last night. We were supposed to sell. There are some huge parties in Eugene. So where the hell is he? I told you, I don't know. Bullshit. I know he comes here. I'm sorry, Stephen. Please, go away. More tears stream down Martha's cheeks. Just go away. 5 p.m. If there's one tip I could give, it's to never let them see you cry. Martha whips around and Heather is standing at the counter. Her ecru overcoat is a lighthouse in the dim, dismal store scene. Her yellow sunglasses fixate on Martha. How did you get in here? Stephen bangs on the window. Who the fuck is that? You said you were closed. Fuck you, lady. Stephen stomps away and pushes an elderly man off the curb. Heather sets a shiny black briefcase on the counter, spins it toward Martha, and unclasps it. How many stacks of bills are in there? 
How many bills constitute one stack? It's more money than Martha has ever seen. She and Lenny could buy more than a house in Queens. They could buy the whole borough. She would buy him a new leather jacket and he would surprise her with pearls because they were classy and he always said she deserved them. You're a tough one, says Heather. But even the best of us can turn down a good deal. Martha's jaw quivers. But I don't think, as I said, the decision can be made by you or for you. Sometimes fate can give you the nudge you need. I'm excited for next steps, Martha. Oh, and we'll get everything cleaned up for you. It's been a pleasure. We'll be in touch. But I I don't know if... Heather smiles and moves swiftly like she's on a catwalk through the store, past Martha and out the front door. Martha stands like a mannequin in awe of the money. She's frozen. She wants to collapse, but wants to count every last bill, organize it in the register, close the drawer, and then open it again just to look at it all. She wants to show it to Lenny and count it all over again. Hey! The bell chimes as Stephen barges through the door. Martha turns and winces as he raises a fist. Before he can come any closer, Martha grabs the cash register and swings it into his face. Through the metal box, she feels his neck snap. His jaw becomes slack, his eyes doughy like a schoolboy's. She waits for a next move, retaliation, anything. He wobbles in place, then falls forward, and Martha steps out of the way. She looks at Stephen, face down on the floor, her heart pumping fear and fried fish through her veins. She releases her grip on the cash register, and it lands with a crash on the floor. Then she slowly locks the front door. Martha stands above the body, and a steady calm washes over her. Sure, that was terrifying, but... It felt satisfying. Oddly, sweetly satisfying. Starting today, she wouldn't be a doormat. She would be the door. That's what Lenny would want. It's why he fell for her in the first place. He always says it. Hear that? They're playing our song. She cracks the faintest, softest, eeriest smile. She looks on from the darkness to the sunny Oregon afternoon, hydrangeas blowing in the gentle breeze. Families strolling along the street, pelicans floating blissfully above an impossibly blue sky like God himself draped a satin blanket over the earth. And not a cheap one, either. Not a used one marked at a discount. A genuine, pure, non-negotiable, full-priced product. And all she has to do is reach out and take it. Thanks for listening to Loveless Oregon. If you want to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash loveless.